Thanks for joining us for the Westbridge Church Podcast. More information about Westbridge Church is available at westbridgedanville.com. Jesus, there's no other name above yours. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And God, nothing compares to the promise that we have in you. Nothing in this world no wealth, no riches, no status, no position, God, could compare to the promise that one day all the things of this world will, will fade away, the pain and the heartache and the struggling and the wrestling, God, and we will simply dwell with you and you will dwell with your people. God, how we long for that day. But until then, Father, Pray that you would sanctify us. That through your Holy Spirit, you would make us more and more like Jesus. As we talk about purity today, God, I pray that you would just reveal in our hearts the impurities so that we can give those to you to be washed in the blood of Christ. We thank you for the price you paid for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, coming up in just a couple weeks, um, there's an opportunity for anybody who's newer to our church or interested in what membership at Westbridge looks like. It's a class called Connect 101. Uh, it's going to start the 28th, I think. Uh, and that's going to be on a Sunday morning here. You can sign up for that on uh, your bulletin. There's a little tear-off sheet called the Connect card. Um, you can check that box and drop it in the offering plate a little later in the service. Another thing you can mark on there is for the BLESS commitment. If you haven't been here the past two weeks, um, we went through a series called BLESS. And BLESS is an acronym that stands for Begin With Prayer, Listen, Eat, Serve, and Share Your Story. And basically, it's, it's a tool for blessing the people around us, our neighbors, uh, our community, each other. And so what we said or wanted to say as a church is that we're all in for doing this uh, with coworkers, with uh, family, friends, to, to bless them and show them the love of Christ. And we, wanted to, we just want to give you that opportunity to mark that down on the Connect card and say, I'm all in for the mission of helping people become fully devoted followers of Christ. So if you hadn't had a chance to do that yet, feel free to mark that down on your Connect card as well and drop that in the offering a little later in the service. Let's go ahead and pull out our Bibles if you've got it with you. And if you don't have one today but need one, there's one under the chair in front of you. Feel free to take that if you need it, and the words uh, will also be on the screen as well. But we'll jump into the word together. With the opportunity as a senior in college to work for Speedway Gas Station's corporate headquarters as a pricing intern. And I learned a lot. I'm super grateful for that experience because as a pricing intern, I learned how gas was priced, and, and there's a whole other discussion we could have about that. But I, towards the end of my internship, they didn't really know what to do with me anymore. My projects were done, and so they said, well, go hang out with the other interns. And so it was cool. I got a chance to go to HR one day. I spent some time in accounting for about 12 minutes until they figured out I didn't know what I was doing. And then um, I went, ended up and spent most of my time with the marketing people. And there was two projects they were working with that it was so cool to see. One was the Speedy Rewards card. If you have one of those, I was able to be in the initial meetings for how that got developed. And the other one was Enon Springs Water. Now, Enon is the town that Speedway's based in. And it was fascinating to me. I was invited into this meeting, and they were trying to figure out what to do with their water. They wanted to change it a little bit. And there was, they brought in some, like, water experts, and they, and they basically just told me, sit in the back of the room, don't talk, 
uh, unless you're spoken to, and just sit there. But I was fascinated with it because basically Eden Springs water up until that point was in a bottle similar to this, but it was pretty much Dayton City water, ran through a filter, and put in a bottle for you to buy. But they wanted it to be able to taste pure, and they wanted it to be natural spring water. And in order to be natural spring water and to taste more pure, it has to go through quite the process. And so the process, it, it involves this, micron filtration, ozonization, and then these uh, a long list of numbers that it has to meet certain standards to go through that process in order for them to put natural spring water, pure taste, and those kind of things. And so it was fascinating for me to sit through that meeting, and I really had no clue what I was doing, but to watch the process of what the water was going to have to go through in order for them to sell it in this way. Much like this, in the Christian life, there's a process we have to go through. It's called sanctification. And that process is where we become more like Jesus, and we learn to love God more, and we learn to love people more. And that process takes time. And I wish I was further down the road, and you might as well. But what's important to note today is that sometimes what happens is we get stuck in the process. And it usually involves something like this, where we say, I love my wife, or I love my husband, I love my kids, I love my coworkers, but, and then there's usually somebody who you don't love, right? So for me, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my coworkers, I don't think I love the people in the school drop-off line, right? And... There's a variety of reasons. We'll talk about that later. But I just don't, right? I'm trying. but And we use that as an excuse of, well, I'm just not there yet, right? I, I haven't been following God that long, which I have, so I don't have an excuse, and you don't either. And we can't allow the fact that we're in process to excuse us from loving God and loving people like we're supposed to do, right? Because that's usually what we'll do is we'll be like, well, I would love them, but they hurt me. Or I would love them, but they didn't show up for me when I needed them, right? And that's not to mitigate or minimize the pain that you've experienced at someone else's hands, but that's not everybody, right? And Jesus calls us to love everyone. Matter of fact, he, he kind of went on to say that we should love um, God, that we should love one another, and we should love our neighbors, and we should love our enemies. That seems to cover everybody in my life. I'm not sure about yours, but I think that... Everyone, and that's who we're called to love. The problem is that's very difficult, right? That is extremely different, difficult. Today, I want to help you understand, though, that pure love is possible through more reliance and not more effort. I think typically what we would think is if we just work harder at loving difficult people, it'll be better. I think that's what our culture pushes, right? Try harder, lift yourself up by your bootstraps, put in more effort. And I think when it comes to having a pure love for people, that can only happen through God's grace in your life. Because when you understand who people are and that they're made in the image of God and you understand that people have intrinsic value, I don't think the world offers that in any way. They may tell you you should five steps to to loving people better or three times to do this in a day, but that's not going to get it. I think pure love is only possible through more reliance in God and what his word says in order to change us into the people that we need to be. Matter of fact, uh, 2 Peter 1 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything would seem to include everything. So if you have a difficult person in your life that you're struggling to love, I think that God has the power to give you the ability to change your heart to be able to love them in a pure way. 
Just as the water had to go through a process in order to be marked pure, you and I have to go through a process in order for us to have pure love for each other. And so today, as we look at this, I want to help you understand this hopefully a little bit better. I do not have the market cornered on this, by the way. I am still a work in process, and I'm trying not to let that be an excuse anymore. And I'm encouraging you today not to let that be an excuse in your life anymore. Because it's pretty clear what we should do. The Greeks had three words for love. Agape love, which is the closest to what we would say is pure love. That's an unconditional love that God the Father has for us, that Jesus Christ has for us. So there's agape love. There's phileo love, which is brotherly love, city of Philadelphia. And that's a brotherly love. And then there's eros that they would use to describe romantic love. And those three words were used to describe varying degrees or types of love. The problem with the English language is we have one word, love. So you love Cheetos, and you love your mom, and you love the Colts, and you love donuts, but you don't love your mom the same way you love Cheetos, right? It's a different, different way of describing it. And so when we talk about pure love today, I think we all have to understand that this is talking about an unconditional agape love that we would have for not only God, but for people. And I think it's entirely possible if we'll rely more on God to change our hearts and more on God's word to change the way that we think and the way that we act. And I think it's entirely possible. And so if we go on, uh, flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1 today, that's where we're going to spend most of our time. If you have a Bible, uh, flip over there. If not, it'll be on the screen. Before we get into 1 Peter, I want to give you a little bit of a background as to why I think you should read 1 Peter. Matter of fact, I think you should read 1 Peter all five days this week. There's five chapters. You can read the whole book in about 12 minutes. But Peter gives some incredible insights on for husbands. If you're not considerate of your wives, it can hinder your prayers. It, it talks about living in a pagan society and how to live in a way that honors God. It tells how to deal with persecution that might come your way. And I'm not just talking about a bad day or your car doesn't start. I'm talking about real persecution that comes your way or difficulties that come your way. It's in, it also talks about how to use your gifting, and so 1 Peter is a really easy book to read. There's five days this week. Take a chapter a day. I would encourage you to do that for the men in this room. There's a fight night coming up uh, November the 9th, and it's all going to be about how to read your Bible, but get a head start ahead of time. This is a really good way to get into it, but the background behind 1 Peter is it's about 30 years after Jesus ascends and goes to heaven. In Rome, where this is written from, Nero becomes emperor. And when Nero becomes emperor, there becomes a great fire that breaks out and destroys most of Rome. Now, many scholars believe that Nero was so sadistic and such a bad man that he set the fires himself because he wanted to build a better name for himself. I don't know who started the fire, but I know who got blamed by the fire, and that was Christians. And this is where the first large-scale persecution of Christians takes place. Nero was a very bad individual. I'm not just talking about somebody making fun of you for your faith. I'll describe a few of the things Nero did, not meant to sort of make you feel in, uh, uncomfortable, but I just want you to know that this is the kind of thing that he would do, and this is the context to which Peter is writing in. Nero would take Christians, he would dip them in tar, and he would burn them as human lanterns in his garden. He would take Christians and wrap them in animal skins and put them in the Colosseum and let other animals go after them. He would take Christians and he would just do anything he could to persecute them. And so it's within that backdrop that you have 1 Peter. Nero was a bad, bad man. And Peter tries to write to a group of Christians to say, hold on. It is going to be okay. 
And that's where we pick up the story. And so it's within that backdrop that we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Peter says that we can purify ourselves by obeying the truth, but here's the other reason I think it's important to listen to Peter. Peter screwed up a lot in his life. He had his love tested, right? He said, yeah, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what, and he denied him three times. But his love was reaffirmed three times on a beach on the Sea of Galilee. And by this time, he seems to finally get it. If you get a chance, read 1 Peter this week, you will see that Peter finally got it, I think. And Peter says that in verse 22, that you have purified yourself, or you can purify yourself by obeying the truth so that you'll have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply, and from the heart. You see, obeying the truth is different than knowing the truth. I'm not going to tell you anything you've never heard before today. You've heard all of this. Love God, love people, love your enemies. There is nothing new for what I'm going to say today. But obeying the truth and knowing the truth are two entirely different things. And Peter says that if you'll obey the truth, you can purify yourself. So as you look at God's word and what he says about loving him and loving people, and you take that and you obey it in your own life, you will start to purify your own heart. None of us came out of the womb naturally loving people, right? We have to make the choice. Am I going to love them or not? And so Peter says that you can do that not by knowing more things, although knowing things are really important, but by obeying those things. He says that if you'll obey these, you'll have a sincere love for one another. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I always have a sincere love for everybody. The way that I develop my love to be sincere is by obeying the truth. It's by obeying God's commands. It's by looking at the life of Jesus and looking at what he has to do. And so, as I said earlier, pure love is possible through more reliance, not more effort. You do the effort of obeying God's truth, but you also have to trust God enough to, to look at it and say, he's going to provide what I need to change. And he's going to help me in that process. And, and God never asked you to do something and said, good luck on your own and see you. He always gives you exactly what you need. And so it's entirely possible, I think, to actually love God, even when he doesn't make sense. I think it's entirely possible to love your neighbors, even when they're difficult. I think that it even is possible to love your enemies. And I'm not sure I would have that right away down, but I do think it's possible. Peter goes on and he says, love one another deeply from the heart. Peter is talking about a, a brotherly love here, but we could take this across any of the other types of loves, love for God, love for people, whoever. I was blessed with a really good brother, still am, and um, we fought like cats and dogs and beat the snot out of each other every chance we got. But I love him, and we don't always just agree on everything, we agree on most things, but I love him, not because of what he did or how hard he hit me or what he didn't do, but because of who he is. When you have a sincere love for other people, you love them not based on their action, but on who they are. And that's where brotherly love starts to move into an agape love, which is an unconditional love that we have. And it's possible for those of you who are married, you started out with 
um, agape love at times, but sometimes it's hard to love them unconditionally. For those of you who have friends, you started out and you wanted to love them unconditionally until they hurt you, and that's when the, the struggle becomes real. The other truth is, is that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. For those of you who are following Jesus today, and we're going to spend forever together. Now, for some of you, you're like, great. But we are, and you can either learn to get along now or be forced to for all of eternity. But like it or not, we're together. You can move, and we're still going to be together. And so I hope you understand that this is worth pursuing in your life. This is worth considering for your life as well. Peter goes on and he has this strange phrase for the next couple of verses, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense when you understand the persecution that he was writing about in two. He says, look, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You've been born again. It's what Paul said that there's a new creation, right? When you trust Jesus Christ, he changes your heart. He gives you a new capacity to love, a love that you didn't have before. Do non-Christians love people? Absolutely. But when Jesus Christ changes your heart, he opens up a new possibility and a new capacity to love people in a way that I think is almost pure. Now, sin taints every measure of our world, but there is a way that we can love people that we should love people that should be completely different than the rest of the world. And Peter argues, look, you've been born again. You've been born not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. He's hinting again that you're going to be around forever, somewhere, heaven or hell every single person on this planet. And he's hinting around to this idea because he goes on in verse 24 to say, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. He quotes Isaiah chapter 40, which was a call from Isaiah to turn back to the Lord. And when he quotes this, it's as if Peter is saying, you should love everyone because everyone exists forever somewhere. And you should love everyone because all of us are dying. Some of you are closer than others, but all of us are dying. And he says, look, all the flowers are like, you'll see this out in the fields now. They're all dying. It's all going to end. So Peter makes his appeal through this use of, of, of a verse in Isaiah to say, look, you should love everyone because you've been born again but also because time is short. And not only is time is short, but I think Peter lost his boldness a little bit when he had that whole issue on the beach on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus kind of called him out. But I think he got it back here because he makes this statement, and in the Greek, I'm no Greek scholar, but it's a lot stronger than what it says here, but it says, and this is the word that was preached to you. It's as if Peter is saying, someone preached this to you, you are therefore called to love everyone and share that message with them. Think about it. For those of you who are Christians in this room, think of the person who shared the gospel with you, shared the hope of the message of the gospel with you. Do you have them in your head? Where would you be without that person? Where would you be? I, I got them in my head. I would not be here standing on this stage without that person. I would not be leading my family the way that I do, although imperfectly, without that person. And it's as if Peter is saying, look, someone did that for you. This word was preached to you. Now go love everyone else and be in the process of purifying your motives and purifying the way that you love them. It's what caused Peter to go on a little bit later in chapter 3 to say, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have to just a few people in your daily walk. No, to everyone. 
Give it to everyone who you come across. So Peter calls us, we obey the truth. That's what purifies us. When we have a purified love, we'll see people as God sees them, which is they have an eternity somewhere to spend, and we're called to share the love and the hope of Jesus with them. That's what gives us the opportunity through bless or through other other means to share the gospel with people so that they might have a new birth and have a better understanding of who God is. What often happens, though, is I'm, I'm pretty comfortable talking to people who are like me, but I struggle with people who are not like me. And I think that's, once again, where we rationalize who we're going to share. No, it's to everyone. We're going to love everybody. We're going to share the message of hope with everyone because it's been shared with us, and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as Paul would go on to say. This past May, I started reading a book that has absolutely wrecked my life. I wish I wouldn't have picked it up, so I'm going to recommend it to you. It's called uh, Love Does by Bob, or Love, no, that's his first one. This one's called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. And the, the subtitle is Becoming Love in a World Full of Setbacks and Difficult People. And I read this in May when Shelly and I were away for our anniversary, and it has literally changed the way that I think about loving people. And what I love is Bob gives a lot of examples about how he loves, and he loves a lot like Jesus. And as I was reading through the Gospels through the summer, it just kept sticking out to me over and over again on how to love people. But Bob basically came to the point in his life where he said, kind of like you and I, like, I'm okay loving the people like me, people here in Danville, but you get anywhere else, and I just struggle with that. And he said God just impressed upon him that he should love everybody, and he should love them always. Love everybody and love them always. And what was really interesting is I was going through this personally and just thinking through all the ways in which I needed to step up in regards to purifying my love for people and for God, is he had this quote in the middle of the book that stuck out with me. It said that the way that we love people we disagree with is the best evidence of what we really believe. If you and I really believe that God can change anyone's life, then we should love everybody always. If we really believe that God any situation and redeem it for his good, then we should love everybody and we should love them always. So not only should we love one another, which Peter was talking about, and that's the context of what he's talking about, but we should love everybody because we recognize that people are like the grass and the flowers of the field and they're dying and they're going to go somewhere. And without the hope and message of Jesus Christ, they're going to hell. And so we should just love everybody always with the hope that we might get to share the truth of who God is that we would be willing to step in and do that. And so for a lot of us, we don't necessarily struggle with loving our, our families because we like them most of the time until the holidays. But for a lot of us, we struggle with loving the people that we disagree with. And um, when I first started here, Tammy McGee, about some students or um, some kids that were struggling, and she said, you just have no idea what's going on in their life. And that's why when you face a difficult person, I want you to think this week, like, what could be going on in their life that make them that way? I grew up with great parents who loved Jesus and who took me to church and, and, and showed me what it was like to be like them, but not everybody has that. So maybe they act in a different way. Well, Chick-fil-A, the same thing with their employees. They say, look, if somebody's mad at you about their chicken sandwich, understand that there's something else going on in their life. So every Chick-fil-A person, at least four or five years ago, had to go through and watch this video. I want you to watch this video today so that you'll have a better understanding of what's going on in other people's lives.
understand that everybody has a story, you see that that might be part of the reason why they're the way they are. And that's not an excuse for them, but it is the truth of what they've been through. And so in my own life, as I was trying to process this, in the school drop-off line, maybe nobody ever told them how to drive. Or, but when you start to see people differently, as I think God sees them, I think God sees them, and we know from Scripture that God sees that, what has happened to them, and understands that, not as an excuse, but for you and I, we usually just discount them as difficult people. As I, I'm not going to deal with them, and therefore I don't want to mess with that and, and put myself out there. If you haven't been feeling bad about yourself yet, um, turn over to 1 John chapter 4, because this will do it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, Whoever claims to love God, which would hopefully be all of you, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. That's a strong word. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God for whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. You see, I think Jesus asked us to do things that we can't do on our own so that we'll realize our continued need for him. I think he, he asked us to do stuff all the time. And this is not unlike what Jesus did while he was on the earth, but he asked us to do things that we can't do on our own so that we'll be reminded once again, it's not effort, it's reliance. And so as you think through what this looks like in your life, I just want to encourage you, loving people cannot be a checklist for you. I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my coworkers, I don't love the, the school drop-off line people. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees loved God, or at least they thought they did, and they thought they loved the people who looked like them, acted like them, talked like them, studied like them, but for everybody else, they didn't care about. It's got to be a lifestyle, and as I read Bob's book, and as I was reading, Bob really makes a point to say, look, this is what Jesus did. I came away with one thing, and this is what he pointed out, is that there was the thing that set Jesus apart in regards to his love for others was his availability. The availability of Jesus. Jesus is walking out of Jericho, and Bartimaeus is screaming at him. There's a whole crowd around Jesus. They stopped the whole procession leaving out of Jericho. And Bartimaeus is like, I just want to see. And Jesus is like, that's all you want? I want to see. Okay, good. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and he's surrounded by a huge crowd of people. The woman who had bleeding going on for years touches him. He says, who touched me? He said, everybody touched you. He said, no, who's the one person? The availability of Jesus is where he showcased his love in some powerful ways. And I think in our culture, the availability of us to love people could separate us so far from the rest of the world. And so this is what I've come to understand. Interruptions are God's invitations to love others. Not long after I wrote this, or typed it out on my computer, Wes knocks on my door and says, hey, can you come with me? And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't have time for this. I didn't say this, but I'm thinking it in my head. I don't have time for this. I have stuff to do. Can you imagine if Jesus did that, right? Like walking away, like coming back in a couple weeks to Jericho, Bartimaeus, we'll catch you then. I'm terrible at this. I think we're terrible at this as a culture. Jesus stopped and said, hey, what can I do? How can I love you right now? So I think those interruptions happened. So it turns out I was worried I wouldn't be able to finish the message. So if it's terrible from here on out, you'll know why. But 
I was worried I wasn't going to be able to finish it, and then it just came back to me once again. It's through more reliance, not more effort. I went with Wes. We hung out with Fred. We had a good time. We had a good lunch. Uh, miraculously, this all got taken care of. Can I just tell you today that God's going to take care of everything you need in your life if you will rely on him? The, the discipline of your kids, he'll take care of that. The, the ailing of your grandparents or parents, he'll take care of that. That problem at work or that issue at home, he will take care of that. If you will rely upon him, he will help you figure it out. And he will give you the grace and the strength you need to get through it. And so Jesus was always a great example of that. Bob gives some incredible examples in his book. you got to read it. It just blows my mind, that guy. I want to be like him, which he wants to be like Jesus, so I feel like I want to be like Jesus. But um, I started praying. God, like, I want to I wanna have a life like that, that loves people like Jesus loved people. So I started praying that back in May. Very careful what you pray for. So about three weeks ago, I was supposed to go to a surprise birthday party. And right before I'm supposed to do that, Shelly asked me to go out and get some stuff. And I run into this guy, and his name is Ron. And Ron has interrupted my life for the past three weeks in ways that I could never imagine. And I have had some incredible conversations about Jesus with Ron. Um, We've had some just really strange conversations in general, too. I went up to Ron and said, hey, can I give you a glass of water? And he goes, you know, I don't really need a glass of water. What I need is a ride. And I'm like, I don't really want to give him a ride. I just wanted to give him a glass of water. But I gave him a ride, and we went down, and we had another conversation, and called him yesterday or Thursday, and he's somewhere in southern Indiana now. And when God interrupts, and he'll do that. And I don't share that story to make me seem like I'm, I'm great. I share that story to say, look, if you're going to pray for this, be careful. Because as Bob makes a point in his book, everyone who you need to love is in your life right now. So the next time you're interrupted in your day, it could be that God's bringing those people into your life so that you have the chance to love them. Right? We all, everybody in this room would be like, yeah, I want to love people better. Yeah. Oh, remember? Obey versus no. That's where it hits the road. And so... That's what becomes really difficult. So I started praying that way, and it is just, I could tell you story after story how God brings people into my life. And sometimes I've, I've done really well and helped them out, and sometimes, frankly, I've just been like, I ain't got time for that. But if you'll do that, God will absolutely uh, show up in some pretty cool ways. The other thing I'd ask you is, have you prayed about your love for other people? And what I mean by that is usually when we're faced with a difficult person in our life, we pray for that person, Right? Help Bob to be a nicer person to me at work. Help whoever to be a nicer person at work. But we don't ever pray about us. At least I don't. Usually it's always about the other person and what they did wrong to us. It's about the other person and how uh, bad of a person they are. So I've been really challenged, and I would encourage you as we wrap up this morning, to start praying for your own heart. Because if we become, our love becomes purified in obeying the truth of God's word and who he is, then something with us has to change. Something with me has to change. Something with you has to change. And so I think if Peter was able to be here today, I think he would leave us with these three things. Uh, Number one, I think he'd say time is limited, so love everybody always. You don't know who to love this week and you're not real sure, just love everybody. Do it always. It'll cost you something. Number two, time is limited, so cling to what's enduring. Our world changes so fast, and I'm just more and more amazed that it wouldn't take much for us to not be here anymore. And so the enduring things are the Word of God, and the enduring things are people, and so invest in those two things. 
If you spend your time this week reading 1 Peter, and you spend your time this week loving people, you are in for possibly the best week of your life. Because while it's been a pain to try and love people like Jesus is, it has been the craziest three, four months of my life. And I haven't always got it right, but it's been really cool to see what God's going to do. Lastly, uh, time is limited, so, so follow Christ. If you're not following Jesus, you can't love people in a pure way. It's interesting. When you read verses, Romans 5, 8, everybody, a lot of you know this. You grew up. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for you, not as the best version of you, but while you were at your worst, that's when he loved you. And let me just tell you today, if you're not following Jesus, you need to be. Not because I say so, but because he will radically change your life. He will give you a new heart with a new capacity to love people. You'll be able to be with him forever, and you'll have freedom from the sins that hold you down right now. And if you've never made that decision, I would encourage you to do that today. I would love to talk to you more about what that means afterwards. Come up and find me. But it's interesting, when you look at what, how God demonstrated his love, he did it when we were at our worst, not at our best. If that's how God treated us, shouldn't we therefore treat others the same? When they were going back to figuring out what it was going to be, there's quite the process involved. Um, we were bottling uh, Eden Springs water in Dayton, Ohio, and they decided they needed to move it. In order to have the stamp of pure taste and natural spring water, they needed to move it. They moved it to Jackson, Michigan. The discussion was never on, on the process. If you know business at all, you know there was one concern that came at the end of that meeting for when moving this was. And you know what it was? What's it going to cost? There's a cost to loving people like Jesus did. Ask him. He'll tell you. It cost him his life. There's a cost that it takes to loving people like he did. And let me tell you, it's completely worth it. It will wreck your schedule. It will change your times. It'll make you late. And I hate being late. It'll do all of these things and a whole lot more, but it'll be absolutely worth it. If you would pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. God, we thank you for your patience with us, and God, we pray that you'd help us extend it to the difficult people in our lives. God, we, we need your help with this. I need your help with this. And so, Father, today we come to you asking first and foremost for forgiveness for not loving people like you, your son set the example. But God, I also know that if we could get this right, we could literally change the world in regards to how they see us and how they see you. And so, Father, I pray that you help every single person in this room to first and foremost evaluate where they're at. God, if they don't have a relationship with you, I pray that you give them the courage to come talk to me or another person in this room about what it means to follow Jesus. Father, if they are following you, I pray that you would even now impress who they should love in their life this week. That, God, that you might impress upon them what they might need to change and purify in their own heart. And that, God, that we might come together next week, not for the sake of, of patting ourselves on the back, but on the sake of giving you glory for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. God, you've placed us here for a reason, and it's not just to fill space. It's not just to have fun. But you've placed us here to be ambassadors for you. Father, I got to think that the best way that we could do that is by loving people the way that you loved us. And so, Father, I know that's hard. 
know that's asking a lot, but that's what you've called us all to do. So, Father, I pray that you'd help even now for each and every one of us to know exactly what we should do this week and that we would have the courage to step out and do it. God, thank you for your patience with us in this process. Thank you for not leaving us alone. And thank you, God, for helping us understand that it's not through more effort, it's through more reliance. God, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.